G'day, Michaela. Hey, Warwick. So, if you could have a movie made about your life, who would you want starring as you? Uh, I would love uh, Emma Stone or Kate Winslet. Who's Emma Stone? <laughs> Do you not watch anything? No. <laughs> Welcome to the Tradies Business Show, helping you get off the tools and into true business ownership so you can spend more time doing the things that matter most. Now, here are your hosts, Warwick Bidwell and Michaela Clark. And welcome back to another fabulous episode of the Tradies Business Show. And while you were listening to the intro, I was madly Googling Emma Stone. <laughs> and he does think she's a hottie. She's cute. She is. Yeah. I don't mind the redhead thing. Although she's had all different colour hair like every Hollywood star. Um, and uh, we've got a guest on today's episode that... The background may be a bit different to what you would think for a lawyer, mm. a uh, you know commercial lawyer, contracts, all that sort of stuff. You know, sorry Matt, but it's probably not the most exciting stuff. <laughs> I know we've had a, a solicitor or a lawyer on the show before talking uh, law stuff, um, but uh, I'm not going to give it away. No. I'm going to make you listen to the episode. <laughs> and good, because this could save you thousands of dollars of money uh, in employee issues. Oh, so. yeah. If you've ever been afraid of fair work and unfair dismissal, like those words together, four mm. words, fair work, unfair dis- – is that four words? Fair work, unfair dismissal. Yes, it is. Mm. Lots of syllables. Um, you need to listen to this. Yep. And if you think uh, a big takeaway from this is knowing that up until 12 months, if you put oh. someone on, you're protected. Yes. So just have a listen because if you've been putting off having staff members because you're worried about having staff, have a listen and you'll be all good. So check it out. Let's go. And joining us on today's episode of the Tradies Business Show is Matt Bell from Murdoch Lawyers. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having us, Warwick. Pleasure. We've also got Michaela in the studio today, so (laughs) she's rolled in as well. So Matt, uh, tell us a bit about yourself and... Murdoch Lawyers, and uh, how did you get to be doing what you're doing today, mate? Um, Well, I'm a business lawyer, so I focus, uh, my whole practice is on business owners, uh, mainly small to medium-sized business owners. Um, We generally assist business owners with all their documentation, um, buying and selling businesses, uh, contracts, terms of trade, uh, and employing employees. Um, Murdoch Lawyers is a commercial law firm. Uh, we've got offices in Toowoomba and Brisbane, and um, on the show today, just to talk from the employer's perspective in relation to contracts of employment and what can go wrong if you don't have them in place. And I know you guys do a lot with tradies in the building construction industry in particular, so what um, attracts you to that industry? Uh, well, it's partly to do with where we're located. So being a regional practice, um, you know, we need to service uh, a broad range of industries, uh, there's a fair bit of construction work going on in our region at the moment, um, so we just need to be able to service them. Um, it's a you know building and construction employers uh, are a large part of my practice, so I just I, I need to be able to give them the advice and service they need. Now, Matt, uh, just backtracking a little bit here, you haven't always been a lawyer, have you, mate? No, um, about eleven or twelve years ago, I uh, I was uh, in social policy for the state and federal government. So mainly designing uh, social policies in um, community development. And uh, before that, I, I played a bit of football. 
So tell us a bit more about the football career, mate, because I'm sure our tradie listeners would be more interested in your sporting prowess than your legal background. Yeah, well, when I was um, I was a young teenager, I started playing professional football. Um, the club back then was the Brisbane Strikers, so we were lucky. In our first year, we got to go to the grand final and we won that. So I had about five years uh, playing for the Brisbane Strikers and you know went on some trials overseas, but wasn't good enough to make it over there, so I came back and became a lawyer. Didn't have enough bribery money to get in overseas, so hey, Matt. No, oh, that's it. I miss Australia too much. <laughs> oh, yeah. And you've ended up in Toowoomba. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah, it's a beautiful place to live. Good on you, mate. Good on you. So, uh, obviously, uh, we're here to talk about the specifics of law is a pretty broad topic. Uh, but one of the things that we find a lot of our our listeners do get tripped up on is this whole area of employing people. So um, what's some of the, the key things that our tradies in business need to be paying attention to? Um, well, there's a few things. So first of all, you've got to know what award applies to you. Um, and you know, given, given the nature of the industry, you know, there's a building and construction general on-site award. Um, that mainly applies uh, civil uh, construction as well as general building and construction. Um, now, that award's very specific. It requires employers to reach agreement on certain things. So, for example, um, you've got to decide whether you're going to employ someone full-time, daily hire, or um, casual. Um, and so, to avoid any any risk of people misunderstanding what's been agreed verbally, we always recommend that employers have written employment agreements in place. It just um, lets everyone know you're on the same page and these are the terms and conditions that everyone signed up for. Um, if you don't have the employment agreement in place, then you know it just creates more uncertainty. And um, what people remember was their agreement um, later on might not be what the other one always, uh, thought was agreed at the time. And so what are some critical points to have in your agreements? Um, well, the, the employment agreement needs to be um, a management tool. So you, you want to place uh, contractual obligations on employees um, if you've got a starting time, then it's important that you specify what that's going to be. Um, you, you can also specify the procedure for you know, what's going to happen if, if you need to start early or start late. Um, that particular award requires um, workers to start work at a particular time. Now, you can, you can bring it forward an hour, provided you get the agreement of the majority of employees that are affected by that. So you've actually got to have evidence that you've got that agreement and if you bring the starting time uh, forward too much, then you can be paying overtime and penalty rates uh, because you're starting outside of the span of acceptable hours under the award. So that could um, that could affect an employer in a couple of ways. First of all, they've got to pay double time or penalty rates uh, for an early start. And it'll mean that the employees won't be working a sufficient number of ordinary hours. So you've got 38 ordinary hours to work per week for a full-time employee. Um, that particular award can require employers to work eight but only pay for 7.6 because they're accruing time towards an, an industry RDO, which is generally the third Monday in a four-week cycle. So it's reaching agreement around um, those types of issues uh, and it's having those those obligations on employees. If, if they breach it, then you can refer back to your employment agreement and say, well, you've breached Clause 3 of the employment agreement, you haven't started on time or you haven't filled in your timesheet uh, or you haven't taken your meal break at the appropriate time. And you can use that to manage it so you can give warnings and it's specific to a breach of an employment condition. 
Because I think part of the perception, Matt, is that people are stuck with whatever the award says. But you're just mentioning there about getting agreement from the majority of the workforce, you know, to change the start time. Can employers actually uh, modify some of the uh, standards, I guess, provided employees aren't disadvantaged? Yeah, what they can do is they can um, vary the application of certain clauses in the award. So clause seven of that award is a flexibility term. And, uh, and that allows the employer and the employees to reach um, agreements. Uh, the agreement um, has to make sure that the employee is better off overall. So it's got to satisfy that test. So, for example, some employers, sorry, some employees like to finish early so they can get to um, coach their kids to play footy or take their daughters dancing or whatever they need to do. So um, you can have this individual agreement in place um, so that you can start a bit earlier um, and leave a bit earlier. There's flexibility. The employee's happy because they get to spend a bit more time with their kids um, and consider that you know they're better off overall you know, than what they would have been had they have worked under the strict award conditions. Mm. So those, those individual flexibility agreements, they're, they're very particular. You, can, you can't just go and vary the application of all clauses in the award. Um, it, it's things like um, you know, hours of work, it's penalty rates, it's overtime. Uh, and your agreement's got to be spot on. If you don't prepare the agreement in accordance with that clause seven of the award, then you're going to have problems enforcing it later on. And if if it doesn't result in the employee better off, uh, being better off overall, then you can get fined. And the companies, you know, you're looking at big fines of over fifty grand and individuals over ten grand. Jeez. So it's uh, a lot cheaper to spend the money on legal fees and get your agreements done properly. Yeah, I mean, I think the best approach is to firstly work a roster. If you can plot out a roster for a four-week cycle and then you can do some financial modelling on what your payment obligation is going to be and then you can prepare your employment agreements. Um, And once you've set your system up, you know, uh, there's a bit of money to set them up, but it's a hell of a lot cheaper than paying one of those fines or getting it wrong and then having to go back and, you know, fix up all the underpayments and then still have to deal with fines. Mm. Uh, it's just a cheaper option. Um, you know, we try to prevent claims, um, and if we can't, we try to get in and deal with them as quickly um, as possible rather than let them go on and fester. Mm. And so another big area that a lot of our listeners struggle with is getting rid of um, employees that aren't performing. So using your employee contracts where you have got those performance things put in can certainly help in dismissing an employee. Would that be correct? Absolutely. Um, it's... In an employment dispute, it's what you can prove. And so if you've got a written employment agreement that says um, turn up for work on time and then an employee doesn't turn up for work on time and then you've got a, a written warning saying, well, you didn't turn up for work on time and you breached clause 3.5 of your employment agreement, then you're setting up an evidence trail and it's it's um, easier to show that to a Fair Work Ombudsman or a tribunal or a court um, and, and prove what you're saying. So if you, if you don't have that evidence, you don't have the, the written employment agreement or the, the warnings, um, then it's, uh, you know, it's a case of he said, she said. So with fair work, it's almost always what you can prove and you know, it's just having good records and systems in place to, to be able to do that. So basically, you know, you've got to have, well, you don't have to have an agreement, but if you have the agreement and you have the paper trail and the evidence, um, you dismiss somebody because they're not performing and they make a claim to fair work against an employer, you want to have all of those ducks lined up when you end up in front of the, you know, the magistrate or whoever. 
Yeah, exactly right. Your documents will tell the story um, mm. to the court, and and it'll just uh, back up what you know what your employer or what your tradesperson saying to the court. So you've got the the written evidence there. It just makes it easier for the court to make a decision. Because mm. there's a lot of fear from employers, and I know uh, smaller employers of staff uh, really worry about letting people go that that uh, aren't performing because they're just really afraid of having a fair work case brought against them. But it, does it mm. need to be that scary, Matt? No, not necessarily. I mean, you, you've just got to have a good understanding as to what the parameters are. Um, so, for example, there's a, uh, a statutory probationary period built into the Fair Work Act. So with um, smaller business owners, if they've got less than 15 staff, employees have to serve a qualifying period. Um, so that's going to be 12 months before they are even eligible to apply for unfair dismissal. So if you're going to put a new person on, you need a bit of time to see whether they're going to work out, whether they've, you know, they work the same way or you know, they're up to scratch. And if they're not, you need to make the decision to dismiss them um, you know, for whatever the reason is. If they're not up to scratch, then that's the reason for it. Um, and if you dismiss the employee in that situation before the end of 12 months, they haven't qualified for unfair dismissal, so they can't bring that claim. Um, and if, if you're a bigger employee, if you've got more than 15 staff, then the qualifying period six months. So it's making sure that if you put a new employee on, you have a catch-up at least five months out, and if it's not working out, then you make the decision to terminate before the employee can go off to the Fair Work Commission and apply for unfair dismissal. So that's something um, I think will surprise a lot of our listeners that they had, you know, it's often known as three months probation period, but you're saying, so they've got 12 months um, probation period where they, can, they, they can't even put a claim for, forward. Yeah, that's right. They, they can't bring a claim for unfair dismissal. Um, so, uh, you know, it's common for employers to have that statutory, you know, qualifying period. Uh, and also in an employment agreement have a contractual probationary period. So, but if they don't have the contractual probationary period, then they can fall back on that Fair Work Act. And um, so six months for the bigger employers and 12 months for the smaller employers. And the key thing there, and it's something that I know a lot of um, employers struggle with because they are trying to do the right thing by everybody, is being decisive. If somebody's not working out, don't let it drag on. Don't don't be thinking, oh, you know, he'll come around or she'll, you know, she's she's trying really hard. Is you just have to be decisive because once it goes past that six or twelve month period, it can get it can get a bit more difficult. And you know, you do open yourself up as an employer to somebody bringing a claim against you. Absolutely right. If um, if you let it go, if you if you keep giving the employees a chance and they're not improving. Um, and you've tried to correct the behaviour or the work or whatever you've tried to do, uh, if it's not working out, then uh, more often than not, the employers are better off making the decision. If they dwell on the decision, um, the employee will qualify, and if they then mess up the process or the documentation, then they'll be in the Fair Work Commission defending an unfair dismissal or some other claim. So I'm sure you've heard of a lot of uh, horror stories um, over the years with people not having, you know, the correct paperwork and contracts in place. Uh, let's do a bit of scaremongering and uh, get our listeners into shape. Hey? So you've got any horror stories that you can share? Yeah, there's a situation. Um, one of our clients employed um, some staff. Uh, they were a, a reasonably large employer. And there was a complaint by a single employee. Um, the amount being claimed was about two and a half thousand dollars. 
Now, the, um, this employer uh, took some advice from um, you know, an advisor who wasn't a lawyer, and uh, the advice was, oh, we'll, we'll just wait and see, and this will go away, and you know, we won't provide assistance to the investigator. So the investigator didn't take that really well and um, decided that they'd start expanding the scope of their investigation. So unfortunately, there was, there was a $2,500 claim that could have been dealt with relatively quickly. Um, and just because of the way uh, they approached the ombudsman and they didn't cooperate, that ended up costing over six figures. So it was over $100,000. Um, and then, yeah, so they had to fix up underpayments. So it went from one staff member to everyone on that particular work site, and then it went to all of their staff in Queensland um, over a 12-month period, so about 80 staff. So, you know, and because the roster wasn't done correctly, uh, they, while the employers thought they were paying the right amount of money, it uh, cost them a lot of money. Um, and uh, it, it could have been avoided. And, you know, my advice to employers, if, if, you, if you get contacted by a Fair Work Ombudsman, um, cooperate with the investigation, keep them at the door and um, open up the books and show them what you've done. And if you, if you have underpaid, get onto it straight away because just by not fixing that up, uh, in this case, cost our employer another five months because by the time they got to fix it up, you know, mm. the underpayments had blown out for another five months. Jeez. Yeah, I wonder if they're still taking advice from that other advisor. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Send him an invoice but, or her an invoice. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, <clears throat> that, that award is particularly nasty. It's, uh, in my view, it's unnecessarily complex. Um, but, you know, it, it requires things like employers to reimburse employees for, you know, for, you know, boots, safety boots. Um, if employees, you know, lose, you know, their own tools and equipment, then the employers have to reimburse that up to a certain amount. Um, you know, if the employer doesn't give them an unpaid meal break five hours after starting, then they're into overtime. So there's 90-something separate allowances in that particular award. So it's really nasty. So that's why if you can set up your system at the front end, Mm. um, then maintaining that system later on is a hell of a lot easier and and cheaper. It's much more cost-effective. Yeah, yeah. And is it as simple, Matt, as just going to Google and uh, downloading a copy of an employment agreement you found on a similar sort of business's site somewhere or, you know, a template from the US? I mean, yeah, No, certainly not. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that's, that's the starting point. For I mean, I, I say that tongue-in-cheek, mate, but you'd be, you'd be horrified at the number of people that I've seen yeah. do exactly that. Yeah, exactly right. I, and, um, you know, I see it uh, with my clients as well, um, but... Say, if, for example, if you, if you look at, um, you know, it, it could be a, a workplace bullying policy um, that someone's ripped off Google, and it's actually based upon American law, which and the American law is slightly different to the Australian law. There, um, you know, there was a, a big case last year where a, a large multinational employer had a prevention of um, sexual harassment policy, and one of their staff member uh, didn't follow it. And um, there was 12 incidents of, you know, sexual harassment, their comments and, um, you know, propositions for a female employee. Now, one of the things in that case, so the employer lost, and even though they had a policy in place, they didn't customise it for the local jurisdiction. So they had a global sexual harassment policy, which essentially didn't help them in the end because they didn't make it specific for Australia. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's the same for smaller employers. You know, the size... Uh, 
it won't matter too much if if you're not complying with the law. You're not complying with the law. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in terms of you know employment agreement templates, you know the Fair Work Ombudsman has a a good uh, website. You know there is a free template on there. So if they're going to go and pick up a free template anywhere, then you know I would recommend that they visit the Fair Work Ombudsman's website. Um, it's not customised and it doesn't place additional obligations on employees. So in terms of a management tool, it's pretty limited. But if you just want a basic coverage, then I recommend using that rather than something they find off Google. Yeah, if you're going to hold anything up, you'd want to hold up FairWorks uh, template rather than somebody else's. Exactly right. So, uh, I mean, there there is so much to this, and it depends on awards and everything, but uh, really it comes down to having written agreements with your staff. There's... Something that I come across sometimes is is employers trying to do, I guess, do the right thing by both parties so everybody has clarity about um, what the agreement is. What happens in the case where an employee just won't sign the damn thing? Like they avoid it, put it off, um, just straight out refuse to sign it. What? Where does that leave our tradie listeners? Yeah, um, it, it's always best if you can get the employment agreement um, out to the employee before they start work, um, and gen- generally speaking, the employee can accept the uh, the offer of employment in a couple of ways. One is to sign and return the employment agreement. The second one is to turn up and perform um, in accordance with the employment agreement. Um, you can't physically, you know, grab grab the employee's hand and make them sign the employment agreement. So if yep. they're not going to sign it, well, uh, you can't physically force them to. But you know, generally speaking, the best way to deal with it is to make the offer up front and say, if you want to come on site or you come and work for me and sign and return that along with the other forms that you need to get them to sign up to. Yep, yep. And I, I've uh, I've had a uh, an instance with a, a tradie business where the employee refused to sign it, still showed up for work for some months, and... Mm. Uh, and then tried to bring a claim against the employer, uh, well, threatened to basically bring a claim against them in fair work. It never amounted to anything, not surprising. I suspect the guy went and got some advice and got told that, well, he's, you know, almost agreed uh, by just showing up to work, you know, with those terms because it was yeah. given to him prior to him starting. So is, yeah, that, is that what you're saying? Like, you've got to have yeah, the agreement that, that, even if it's not signed. It's, it's sort of hmm. you know, implicitly agreed by the employee. Yeah, that, that's right. So with employment law, um, you can you can still try to enforce a verbal offer of employment. It's just more challenging. And so where, where you're in a situation like that, the employee's being prickly and won't want to sign your employment agreement. Um, you know, if you can't find out why or what in the employment agreements, you know, the the issue that's holding it up, then another way to to approach it is to introduce policies and procedures. So for employers, these are another management tool and um, and they're considered to be reasonable. Well, they're, they're directions to the employees for them to follow. So uh, that's another way around it. If there are key things in the employment agreement that the employee won't sign up to or agree to, then you can uh, introduce a policy and direct the employees to comply with it. Um, and it's particularly important for work health and safety and things like that. Mm, yeah. So, Matt, one of the questions, and, and there's a lot more we could ask you, I think uh, we might have to get you back on the show uh, again, but one of the questions we love to ask our guests on the show is if you had a 1,000 tradies in the room, so tradie employers in the room in this case, what's one piece of advice you would just love to leave with them? 
put in place documented policies and procedures and employment agreements. Yep. I think that that's the biggest piece of advice. So... There you go, listeners. If you didn't get the hint from this episode, <laughs> get written employment agreements and uh, policies and procedures and just it's it's like insurance. It's cheap insurance against this stuff that employers are just so afraid of. They're so scared of the whole fair work thing. And if you just have these instruments in place, you can you can, you know, knock a lot of that on the head before it even comes up. Absolutely. And you control your expense yeah, you, know, you control the costs. So if if it's alleged that you've underpaid, then you can say, well, this is how we're paying and this is how we've calculated it and, and this is what we're looking to, to absorb into the rate that you're paying. Yeah, exactly, Matt. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will want to get some more advice. So if they want to uh, have a chat further, how can they find you? Um, so we're on, um, you know, we're online. So murdochlawyers.com.au um, or we can be contacted by telephone um, at 46169860. Um, or on email, my email's Matt, M-A-T-T, at murdochs.com.au. Good Great. stuff. Well, thanks for coming on the show today. I, hopefully well, you've, you've got our listeners uh, into shape and doing all their agreements. Covering their backsides, mate. Mm. <laughs> hey, uh, one, one quick one. What position did you play when you were uh, with the strikers, mate? Uh, defender. <laughs> That's appropriate. <laughs> Looking after ball security. Good stuff. Well, look, uh, thanks again for coming on the show, Matt. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely have to get you on again. Okay, thanks for having us. Cheers, buddy. Thanks. Bye. Okay, bye then. Bye, guys. So, I bet you got a couple of ahas out of that episode. Yes. I know I did, <laughs> which is a bit scary. But, uh, yeah, the 12-month, 6-month thing. Mm. The The... Key takeaway for me from that, that was a bit of a tongue twister, the key takeaway from that for me was uh, be decisive. See, Mm. you've got these time periods that have been gifted to you by the government, who we love to hate, Um, but you get, for most of our listeners out there, you get 12-month free look at an employee. So if they're not working out for whatever reason, you just got to... Get the courage to have that conversation. Say, look, Michaela, I'm really sorry, but you're just not working out. It's not a good fit. Um, We're going to have to let you go. Hmm. No one likes doing it, but honestly, if you tick over that 12-month period, it gets a lot harder, and then you have to have all this other stuff in place, contracts and all that sort of jazz. Otherwise, you're really exposing yourself to the risk of of an unfair dismissal claim. Mm. And the takeaway for me is really it is simple, just investing in some good contracts and getting some proper advice, not like that case study gave where he didn't get advice from a lawyer. Took the advice of somebody else. I wonder if it was like a brother-in-law at a barbecue. (laughs) So just make sure it's worth investing in good systems and paperwork and contracts from the start and doing it right from the start. And then you've got it. You've done it. So you're not going to have any issues if you, you get it done right from the start. So invest up front. That's right. And another way you can uh, get it right from the start is uh, go check out the Tradies Business Toolkit. I know we bang on about this thing, but uh, Michaela and I are working on really beefing it up as well. I mean, it's already insane value. 
Um, but there's a lot of cool stuff in there. There's bonus interviews that we've done with guests over the, the last little while, and uh, we're working on putting some more in there. So uh, there's extended interviews. There's templates you can download. Uh, we've just been in the studio recording some video training, and uh, I'm editing madly editing that and putting the finishing touches on it. So keep your ears out for that as well. And uh, we'll be doing some more stuff via the private Facebook group to add even more value to your tradie businesses and make sure that you've got the, uh, what is it, the upper hand on your competition. So go to tradiesbusinesstoolkit.com. It'll cost you the princely sum of one US dollar for the first 30 days. And then after that, if you like it and you stick around, and so far pretty much everybody does, um, it's just 27 US dollars a month. And that's because we have international members and listeners and all that sort of stuff. And it helps with PayPal and all that sort of garbage. So look, it's 35 bucks or something Aussie roughly, depending on the exchange rate. Insert disclaimer here. Um, it's still crazy good value. It's less than a carton of beer. So go do it. Okay. Uh, if you want to know more about the show, tradiesbusinessshow.com. And that's it. Until next time. Bye. You've been listening to the Tradies Business Show with Warwick Bidwell and Michaela Clark. Want to get off the tools into true business ownership? Find out how at tradiesbusinessshow.com.